0: Hello, listener. Welcome to podcast number 127, I believe. Today, little Heather isn't with us. She's gone jet-setting around the globe again. In fact, she'll be in the Big Apple as we speak. Why's she gone there, Phil?
1: What she's gone to do is she's been invited to speak at the Blogger Conference, which is B-L-O-G-H-E-R. So Uh it's a largest conference for 800 women bloggers, and she's going to give them the benefit of her blogging experience. So she's gone over there with Anna, Anna Farmery from The Engaging Brand. And I did hear that there was a suggestion of a bit of partying going yeah, yeah, on. Right, I think yeah. there was a blogger partying social thing. involved. So. Right,
0: right, And I see she's, uh, she's gone with a new haircut. I'm, fortunately for me today, I'm joined by the lovely Rachel. And I say the lovely Rachel because there was a bit of confusion over Rachel's Rachel Jones, our Rachel, hasn't featured on the podcast for a while now. What did you reckon to... Uh, Hev's haircut, Rach.
2: Well, hello, Rich, and hello, Phil.
0: Hello, Rach. <laughs> hello. Hello, Rach.
2: What did I think of her haircut? I thought her haircut was fantastic.
0: Really?
3: Yeah, I really <laughs> liked it this time. <laughs> she, yeah. I
2: mean, she no
0: longer looks like the lion from The Wizard of Oz, does no, she? No,
2: no, she's, she's more like... Charlie's Angels. Is it,
0: it Charlie's Angels, are you sure. Is yeah. Which is one? Uh, yeah. Is it
2: Farrah Fawcett?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: very sweeping yeah, and blonde, and yeah, she yeah. could stand in that motion that you see all three of them that, Rage, at the end of
0: Rage, the. Right. Yeah. Are you, uh, just after a oh, rise.
2: Yes, that's <laughs> true. I can't think of any that. yeah, other reason
1: why you might say such stuff. <laughs> she looks a good, a good deal less surprised, I thought, really. Very. Yes. I thought, yeah, absolutely. She did look
0: very woman's own, I yeah, thought. Yeah.
2: But the most interesting so, thing, just just coming through Hev's dining room now to record this podcast is this very funky looking light and it looks just like one of those ladies hairdressers things that they fit on their head when they have a perm or whatever it is <laughs> and the light just bends over the top of the sofa so I think Hev is on the, on the sofa in the evening.
0: on her laptop
2: and then she decides she wants hairdo number three and hairdo number three presses a button brings the light over (laughs) puts it on her head and (laughs) it happens and then out comes number three Farrah Fawcett
1: (laughs) obviously Rach you haven't seen Uh, the hairdressing bill that her niece Di presents her with for these (laughs) creations probably best not (laughs) go there
0: but no
2: I I really like it suits her
0: I'll tell you what I noticed the other thing as well when we walked through the lounge is all the little lettuce seedlings that Heather and I planted are all through Oh, great. because they've got their kind of plastic tentage still on there, there's still sufficient moisture in the compost, so consequently they're still alive. And, and Phil just said to me, perhaps you should put like a, a, you know, a tent pole in the middle of it to keep the plastic off. But I yeah. said, well, of course if I do that, then all that's going to happen is they're going to dry out and die. Yeah. So, so I'm slightly concerned about the seedlings, but they are through, so we shall see. The saga of the seedling continues. You said, right. you had a, an interesting story about an owl.
2: Yeah, I do, actually. Um, it's going back to the the owl story. We did have one, I think it's probably about two years ago, when San, who works here at Wiggly Wigglers, she had them, uh, at this time of year, on the top of a roof, making this dreadful noise at <laughs> night, almost to the point that they couldn't sleep. Last night, when I got home from work, it was quite late, and then as the evening went on, there was like this thumping around up in the bedroom, yeah. and we thought, "What on earth is that?" that it's definitely not the cat because the cat is sat at the window waiting to come in. So my husband Mike crept upstairs to see if there was a burglar up there, and we found in the spare bedroom <laughs> a, a barn your, owl.
3: Fancy fellow.
2: <laughs> yeah, it could have been a fancy <laughs> fellow, but it wasn't. It was a very really? pretty barn owl. Really? Yes, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. It was quite small. We thought. It Anyway, he caught it, and we looked at it, and, oh, it was so pretty. And it had been tagged with this number, and it was tagged with the British Museum on it. Right. And so I went to the British Museum website. You can go there, and you can actually enter in that number. Right. And you fill in, like, a form with your address and where you saw it and everything and you send it off and they will email you back to tell you a little bit about it. So wow. uh, I did that last night. That's amazing. And so anyway, we released it, of course, back outside. But the previous night, they had been making a tremendous racket. So whether it had been released recently into the area, because we do live next door to the Hereford Nature Trust Wood.
1: Right, Do you right. think, as I, I've had this discussion on several occasions, what noise do barn owls make, if any, much? Well, I know they make a, quite a screeching sound.
2: Yeah. Yeah, similar to a little
0: owl. Well, unfortunately, it's similar to a little owl and similar to a tawny owl. And, and really, the only way you can tell the difference is if you've watched the bird making the noise in the yeah. first instance. If
2: you go on the RSPB website, you can actually click on the bird that you're looking for, and you can actually play the sound that that bird makes. Oh, that's it's useful.
1: really, I've really useful. That's how to do that. Yeah. So, you, so you're an expert on birds. I bird am. Yeah, there, yeah. Right? They,
2: they make quite a screechy noise. They there, do. Very, the very screechy. Do, yeah, so. I've seen them
0: floating. Yeah. Sometimes you know when you're fishing of an mm-hmm. evening. You you can see them floating, hunting along the riverbank margins yeah. and, and they and they, uh, often they, they'll screech just on the edge of darkness, and then yeah. you can just suddenly look up and there's a barn, i just be floating along.
2: My husband Mike decided that Probably hadn't eaten for a while because he knows a little bit about bird's wings and it hadn't got hardly anything in its crop. He felt its chest gently. and There's not much two owls,
0: mind. They're all feather. Yeah,
2: he said it. They have
0: a tiny little skull. You know, their skulls are probably four centimetres or something like that. Very tiny and and it's amazing to think that the skull that size fits into a a head which is probably four or five times the size.
2: I'm sure its head was half of its body. But of course there's so much plumage to the bird he said, as you felt it, it felt there was hardly any bird, it was all plumage. You saw one
1: the other day, didn't you, Feel? Yeah, well, it, they're quite territorial, aren't they? And I know we've got a couple of pairs in known areas of the farm, and in the case of one pair, I'm pretty sure I know which tree they nest in and have done for a number of years now, and they seem to do very nicely, thank you. But I was in a, an area of the farm up on top of the hill, which is quite quiet, it's permanent pasture field with various oak trees and what have you in it, and I was suddenly aware of that there were half a dozen crows mobbing something on the ground. Yeah, and there stood on the ground was Mister Barnwall, <laughs> looking <laughs> a little bit aggrieved at this unwanted amused, attention. Think, yeah. but anyway, he got up and flew, and when I turned round, I realised that he disappeared. He you know he couldn't have flown anywhere because I would have seen him, and the crows were mobbing one of the oak trees, and so I think he was either or she maybe was either looking at a nest site and it was a hollow oak tree and she, she or he had gone into the oak tree. So I was particularly pleased about that because yeah, that probably indicates that we've got another pair yeah. contemplating mm. nesting. And I think, as I said to you at the time, there are few things which gladden the heart better than the sight of a barn owl in flight. And I'd, I'd seen one of our ones down here the other evening hunting. That's uh, amazing And to that watch. white shape. Yeah the troubles of the world disappear when you see one yeah, like, of exactly. I mean and
0: they are it's quite nice that they are an owl that you can see hunting in the daytime as well occasionally yeah. mm. But th- this time of year, you know, what people find as well is that there's quite a lot of road casualties for barn owls because they're all out and about at the moment, pairing up. They're just starting to mate. Consequently, you know, they're moving around, finding new territories, and getting slaughtered on the roads and things yeah. like that. And uh, probably why Phil saw one being mobbed, new to that area. You saw one yeah. hovering around in your in your bedroom yeah. because it's you know, <laughs> thinking, oh, where can I where can I nest? And you know, where can I set up yeah. home and stuff like that. Somebody so, you know. told
1: me that the reason that they get into problems on the roads, particularly at this time of year, is because as the weather Warms up. The first place to warm up quickest is the road because it's black, it absorbs the heat, and they go and stand on the road because it's warm. There is that. Particularly little owls, you'll see them stood around in the middle of the road of an evening. And of course, they're just sitting targets but if also, you don't see them.
0: It is that. I mean, animals like. I mean, that's often the case. Say, if you're driving through the Canadian Rockies or something, you know, you get those mountain goats, and they're in the middle of the road at night because, of course, the road is the black road is the warmest place. So there's often lots of casualties as a consequence. Because the other reason why owls get hit on the road so much, even though owls have this reputation for being intelligent, they're not particularly intelligent, and they haven't wised up to the fact that they're going to get killed by these big oncoming things with two shiny eyes. Uh, and they, you, know, you tend to get lots of rodents alongside road verges so it's ideal habitat but species like kestrels for instance have really wised up to the, the fact that there's all this opportunity right next to the road but they don't go into the road to get hit
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: whereas, uh, whereas barn hasn't quite sussed that out
2: Well if I get a reply back which I should probably should do from the um British Museum of this bird, where it came from, maybe where it was tagged. I'll, I'll um, bet the British Museum
1: computer has a job to digest where sighted box and it <laughs> said Rachel's spare <laughs> Rachel's bedroom. Spelling.
3: Yeah,
0: that's the other thing. Yeah. yeah. That'd be great to see. We'll, we'll, just, we'll have to keep tabs on that, Rachel, yes. and find out. Brilliant. Okay. Anyway, we've had such a lot of feedback and we've got a little bit of feedback to cover this week. I had a, an email, I think it was sent to, to several of us, feedback that Phil read out last week, but on the bottom it says, it's from sue roberts and she said do love the podcast and look forward to hearing more from Rachel, you see. So I thought, oh, that's really nice. So I also forwarded it across to you, didn't I? You did, Rich.
2: You, it, did. But, you
0: know, not that I want to disappoint you, Rachel but it's oh. the other Rachel that
2: she's
0: oh, referring no. to. Oh dear. You haven't told Which, me that bit until now. Because <laughs> I thought, you know, no. it didn't even occur to me, you know, I, I thought it's such a long time since you've been on the podcast and folks are thinking, oh, you know, where's no. that gorgeous Rachel Jones?
2: <laughs> so
0: so. Disappoint, Rich. But anyway, we have got some. Built me up and now you've dropped me down. (laughs) Isn't that the way? Isn't that that the British way? (laughs) Absolutely. I can take it. What a charmer (laughs) you are, Rich. Absolutely. So um, we've got this.
1: Anyway, we've got some great feedback. So, Phil, I'll hand over to you. Thank you, Rich. It was. Really, as we'd hoped, that our podcasts on carbon footprints have thrown up a couple of quandaries, (laughs) and I'm surprised it's only a couple, really. (laughs) I reckon. But uh, we had a a letter from Sandra Laver, I hope I pronounced that, from Essex, and she says, I've just listened to podcast 124 and think that you've totally missed the point of reducing your carbon footprint. The problem we now have is that since the Industrial Revolution, we've been releasing carbon and other greenhouse gases that have been previously locked up in the Earth's geography back into the atmosphere. The increase in greenhouse gases means that the Earth's atmosphere is warming up fine. The only way to stop global warming would be to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases already in the atmosphere, probably. While we're reducing our carbon footprint, we are still adding to the greenhouse gases already present. It is only once we have stopped using fossil fuels and started removing the greenhouse gases through carbon capture that global warming will be stopped or reduced. Carbon offsetting is only a short-term fix. For example, if you plant a tree, that tree captures carbon whilst it's growing. Once the tree dies or is used for fuel, the carbon is re-released. Trees only work as a long-term offset if the trees are fossilised and buried in the earth at the end of their lives. Even if carbon offsetting did work, there's also a danger of double counting. Heather mentioned that wigglers should be considered carbon negative because you sell hedge plants which will absorb carbon as they grow. So say one hedge plant is sold and wigglers claim that plant's worth of carbon capture, the purchaser of the hedge plant could also consider the carbon captured by the growing plant as offsetting their carbon footprint. That's interesting, isn't it? The original grower of the plant and even the courier that delivers the plant to the customer could also count that same plant in their offset quota. Our original hedge plant has now been counted four times, so it's been used to justify the emissions of four times the amount of carbon and it will remove from the atmosphere. And do not forget that carbon captured by our plant will be re-released at the end of its life. The easiest way to think about what needs to be done is through the slogan, reduce, reuse, recycle. I can't argue with that, being as we seem to have used that slogan for a number of years now. Do not buy it if you don't need it or don't love it. Is there a similar product with less compostable or recyclable packaging? Got it and do not want it. Whether an empty tin can, last year's mobile phone, or a thread-worn jumper, could somebody else use it? Charity shop, free bay, or in a developing world country? Nor is reducing your carbon footprint about being cold. I think, again, mooted by Heather. It is about not having your heating turned up so high in winter that you only need to wear your summer clothes, put on a jumper and your goat socks, insulate your loft and put drafted glued around your windows and doors so as to not use more fuel than you need. This is not a competition. It's about doing the best you can. Us grown-ups will probably not live to encounter the results of what we and our parents have already done to the planet. Now that we understand what we are doing, we need to reduce, stop and reverse our impact so that future generations, Monty and Monty's children, do inherit a broken planet. And Rachel Harries <laughs> responded to this thus, Oh dear, she's not a happy bunny, can't be a customer. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that, but anyway. She, then she goes on to say, she does have some good points though. But we did talk about tree and hedge planting and the pros and cons of offsetting. The double counting issues relates to the other comment, and sharing producer-consumer responsibility for footprints, very interesting that that's come up twice. And I agree with the reduce, reuse, recycle, but at least Wigley's is promoting consumption of tools for sustainability, products that are quality and meant to last, support the local economy, etc., rather than throw away from China. Keep it coming. Love, Rachel. P.S. Glad Michael kept the bit in about me giving my worms the kiss of life. Well, I think that's great feedback. And as Rachel says, there are pros and cons. And I agree with a lot of what Sandra says. I do think that her comment that whilst we are reducing our carbon footprint, we are still adding to the greenhouse gases already present. We are just by existing and breathing, as are all the other animals on the planet, so that where you put the balance of the carbon cycle you know i don't think anybody necessarily knows where that balance is yeah that global warming is in part a natural process and we are accelerating it by burning fossil fuels And it comes back to what we said on the podcast. I think we've just got to use less energy. Absolutely.
0: I I think this perfectly illustrates something. that Our our initial thoughts, really, in that just looking at carbon footprints doesn't really help. It's not going to uh, form a solution. It's not going to provide the change in behaviour, necessarily, that we need to do in order to address some of these issues here. I don't know whether Sandra's listened to the interview with Martin Bacon, because that was something that was... Uh, it was very good, actually. It was, when did we do that? About the beginning of this year, wasn't it? going to like say, that? it was when time year? ago now, yeah. and, uh, and, that, and that really looked at uh, carbon offsetting. Uh, Martin's a, a forester, lovely bloke. And so, Sandra, if you go back a little bit in the history of uh, Wigley's podcast, then you'll find a great episode about our covering of a carbon offsetting. One of the most interesting points here, though, is that there's opportunity for a whole load of different people to take the credit for sequestrating carbon. From us by providing the hedging plants in the first place, from the nursery that grows the hedging plants, i.e., Allison, um, and the customer that plants the hedging plants.
1: I think that's 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 a fair comment. And I mean, I think as you and I said, there is a case that where things could be counted four times, it's probably better to say quarter each and move forward. Essentially, at the end of the day, my view on carbon footprinting is that it's quite a good tool to benchmark your own improvements in your lifestyle or your management of your business in terms of your contribution to greenhouse gases so that you can tell over a length of time if you've reduced your carbon footprint genuinely then you're making progress if it's yeah. got worse then obviously you're not Fantastic. i should just mention louise beacon who also contacted us with the idea of multiply claiming carbon offset uh, okay. points uh, um, and she she makes the source. the same comment that mr bike beacon who is a Presumably her husband and I were listening to the Carbon Footprint podcast at the weekend and it struck us that you may be stealing our carbon emission reduction thingies. <laughs> so I thought, oh dear. And she goes on to say that if she was calculating her household carbon footprint and then discovered that Wigglies had made off with, with, with the carbon offset points, that she couldn't have so... So anyway, she said her comment is if so, who is allowed to claim them? Maybe Rachel can decide. I'm sorry, Rachel, that is again Ms. Harris, rather than yourself. Anyway, she goes on to say she loves the new catalogue and she also has an addiction to wooden trugs, which is an interesting problem, I must say whether Mr Bike Beacon has a comment on that, I don't know, but anyway, that's from Louise Beacon from down in Devon. Did yeah, just- no,
0: I mean, keep it coming, keep it coming, it's all good stuff, it's great to have some feedback, these are, it's obviously something that tugs at people's brainstrings anyway, so yeah, keep it coming, it's great stuff. So I've got a c- couple more pieces of feedback, but because we're short on time, I'll just read this one, this is from a, a chap called Randy Corton, from France, interestingly enough, so it's, it's great that we have all this feedback from all over the place, I think this is probably one of the first from France though, but anyway, he says, I've enjoyed the week podcast for some time now and was happy when it started up again after the catalogue break he would like to know whether or not the affected microorganisms in Bakashi are at all invasive so are they from specific to certain countries in the world and the answer to that randy is no They're found globally. Some species of yeast, for instance, are are ubiquitous to any environment. So no, don't worry at all about using your akashi and polluting the environment with invasive, effective microorganisms, because those little guys... um, Different species, I mean, there's different species with the lactic acid bacteria and the photosynthetic bacteria and the yeasts and the actinomycites, but they're all found all over the place and not problematic at all.
2: OK, well, that's really great. That's really nice feedback there. And it's always good to have it and always good to have more. So don't forget that you can send your feedback to pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk or richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk and keep it coming.
0: Fantastic, right? Cheers. Now, a while ago, I introduced a guy called John Cossum from well, an organisation called York Rotters, I'm really just talking about compost, because as far as I'm aware, uh, as compost plays a large part in this company's fortunes, doesn't it? And we don't really talk about it very much, <laughs> perhaps for obvious right. reasons. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I, t- I talked to John, and John's joined in our, some of our Facebook discussions as well recently. There's one Facebook discussion, I think it's, it begins with something like, mm, composting human waste. And there's some interesting thoughts about certain types of human uh, what's the word, disgustingness that you perhaps wouldn't talk about normally. So so if you fancy a, a look at that thread, uh, listener, then yeah, go, please go and, and have a look. But anyway, I did a Skype interview with John, so here he is with some of his thoughts. OK, well, I've had a, a great opportunity to talk to John Cossum from York Rotters, and John is on the line now. John, Hello. Hello there, Richard. It's nice to speak to you. We've been meaning to do this for a long time. Thank you. um, And I'm glad we finally got around to it. Now, composting, um, I mean, we've had a few composting features on our podcast, probably not as many as people think we might have done. (laughs) uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it. You got in touch with us a while ago. I've
3: been a a customer of Wiggly Wigglers for a few years now, but I revisited your website when I was looking at getting a, a new compost turning tool called a compost Mate. Ah, You're the sole suppliers in the UK. It's a very very durable piece of equipment, and I really enjoy using my compost mate.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Thanks. Thanks very much. I think I checked check in the post. Um, yeah, I had uh, no idea we were the sole distributors of it. It is a, it is an easy kind of to use piece of kit. Now, uh, your association, now you've got an interesting organisation, haven't you? I think it's a, a sort of amalgamation between a, a volunteer group and the York County Council local authority.
3: Right, well maybe I can explain, it's not York County Council uh, although the County Council, North Yorkshire County Council uh, has developed a um, a North York's rotters as well. Now York rotters, it's called a Master Composter Scheme and the Master Composter Scheme Template was developed by Garden Organic and Cambridgeshire County Council a few years ago, I think o two o three something like that. Yeah. And um, the idea is that some expert composters train up volunteers from the community so that they are well informed about composting about why it's good and how to do it and a bit of troubleshooting advice and the different methods that kind of thing and then those trained master composters or rotters as we call them in york um they they then go into the community and they teach composting so they might talk to their neighbors or they might talk to their family members or their workplace or they might stand behind a table at a At a fate
0: or in a town centre environment day something like that okay how do you how do you incentivize people to uh, to do this though i mean how do you make composting sound attractive enough to to get people off the streets effectively to, to do these things and then you know take the message to the masses composting is attractive
3: home composting is the most efficient way the easiest way that you can reduce the amount of stuff going into your bin and the stuff that you put in your bin that causes the problems of smells and flies, that's the stuff that you can home compost. So... Right. um Home composting is just a fantastic way of reducing the stuff that goes to landfill that you're responsible for. Um, It also results in a really wonderful soil improver, which means that you don't have to go out and buy peat-based compost or fertilisers because it's a pretty fertile growing medium and you put it in your garden or you can make a a container-based growing media from it. And uh, it's really wonderful stuff and it's very easy to do. It is
0: easy to do. I think people often think that it's you know it's it's complicated and nasty and dirty and smelly and whatnot, and uh, and it's going to overcomplicate their lifestyles. But it, it certainly
3: it's it certainly
0: can be a problem
3: if you get it wrong, especially if you don't add enough carbon rich material like twigs or cardboard um, then it can go smelly and uh, anaerobic and compacted and you can get pretty foul smells off it if you don't get it right but if you get plenty of uh, wood chip cardboard hedge prunings that kind of woody material then um, you can you can make a good
0: compost it's an interesting one. When wood chip, you know, that's... Oof, that, that just I, I felt a little stab in the side when you mentioned wood chip there for, for a, a, a way of introducing carbon to uh, to a composting situation because, of course, if you put uh, lots of wood chip in your garden, inadvertently, if it hasn't rotten down, rotted down properly, if you put that in your vegetable patch, then you end up with a world of stunted vegetables. So it, are you able to get that message across as well that people need to make sure that certain ingredients rot sufficiently so that they're not going to in effect do the opposite to that which they're supposed to.
3: Well um, w- the, the, there are different um, there are different stages in composting one of the first stages obviously is to um, get your bin installed and the plastic uh, Dalek shape bins are very good and then you can make a, a homemade bin out of pallets or other materials or you can just have a pile which doesn't have any sides to it then putting the right stuff in is important and getting a mixture of stuff so no really big thick layers of uh, grass or no mega layers of just dry twigs you've got to have a mixture of the wet and dry green and brown carbon rich nitrogen rich whichever way you want to look at it and then when the material has finished compost and you can speed that up and help it by uh, sticking a fork in the heap and turning it over or a compost mate uh, and helping to turn the heap then there's Get, getting the material ready for use. And what I would use is a thing called a rotor sieve. I think you probably sell those too. Oh, they do, yes. They're yeah. a riddle. You can use an ordinary sieve-type riddle where you shake the material from side to side. But a rotor sieve is a very nice piece of kit where you put your handfuls of finished compost in, turn the handle, and the bar rotates over the base of the sieve, and the That's... smaller particles come out, which you then top dress your vegetable patch with and the larger particles like the unrotted twigs and any plastic that's got in by accident that stays in the top of the sieve and you can put the stuff that's needing to go in the bin in the bin and all the twigs and wood chips that hasn't rotted down back in the compost heap
0: fantastic so that's a kind of relatively easy process then that is a lot less complicated than uh, many people might think now, the other thing you mentioned, there's an amazing shift towards encouraging people to compost. I mean, really, uh, I think probably composting uh, per se is one of the few industries that has a, a, an EU directive so far as uh, an industry is, is, is concerned, in order for it to grow. Oddly, I went to um, a composting waste uh, funding seminar uh, last Tuesday, which no. was, was not, really that, not really that interesting, but it was useful for uh, for wigglers in, in certain respects. There was a consensus there that we are so lucky to be in this industry because it is an industry that has to grow by something like 60% yep. um, until the year uh, 2020, which is a, a relatively short space of time. So, there are very few industries that are going to grow to that extent in that space of time yep. f- from uh, a, a kind of backing from the, the European and, Union. Europe. And
3: this is industrial composting. This is, this is, this is industrial trail, composting, certainly. Which is different to home composting, but it is as important.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the two, in many respects, are sort of closely related, though, aren't they? I mean, aren't it's yeah, the same process. It's bacteria
3: and fungi rotting down the
0: materials into humus. Absolutely. Now, another thing you mentioned yesterday, which, again, is a, a composting, looking at composting on a domestic scale, uh, is you would recently just been to a compost doctors seminar yeah Uh, the compost
3: doctors scheme is a pilot project run by the community recycling network and the community composting network as as partners and the compost doctors scheme put some experimental equipment and these compost doctor people into about a, a dozen catering establishments to help them essentially home compost their waste on site. So right. um, they they went and helped out uh, a prison, a farm shop, some schools, a couple of right. hotels and B&Bs. And each of these establishments used a different method to home compost their organic wastes, their, their right. food wastes. Um, some of them used a simple tumbler type thing uh, turned by hand and some yeah. of them used um expensive machines like something called a rocket or something yeah, yeah. called a big hannah and these machines uh, uh, they're they're plugged in and they agitate waste and maybe keep it heated so that it's sterilized and fits in with the animal byproducts regulations so you can compost meat and fish and cooked food and um out pops the other end is is finished compost which
0: How did these facilities how did these organisations get on with it and um, were they happy with the kind of help Very or well they there, had there,
3: were, there was only one uh, there was only one kind of problem area and all the others were uh, really successful schemes the, the event was held at Elvington Airfield near York where they have conferences with uh, obviously catering and they've got a, a Swedish machine called a Big Hanna where they put the uh, f- plate scrapings and the food material in one end plus right. sawdust which is right. the uh, the bulking agent, the, the carbon rich material yep. and he has got a kind of a rotating drum that just switches on every hour or so and tumbles it uh, right. and it gets very hot and there's data loggers and temperature probes to make sure it gets up to a certain temperature and the stuff comes out the other end as a usable compost which they use on the grounds around the airfield
0: Fantastic. Now, is this something that the uh, Community Composting Network have had funding for specifically, or yes. is this something that they they are able to do um, as a matter of course? No, uh,
3: it was a pilot project funded by various government monies called Brew and Cred and various okay. other okay. acronyms. I don't know what they mean,
0: right, but right.
3: Uh, and, and the the scheme is, has come to the end of its first phase, and they were yeah. reporting back on it. Okay. And because I'm a keen composter and uh, mainly. Home composting, but I'd be really interested in getting involved in a community scheme. Then I, you know, I went along to find out more, and I'll be actually advising my children's school about how they can compost stuff from the school kitchens. Right, um, right. I already compost fruit, my, you know, the fruit that the children don't eat and the apples yeah, yeah. things. In Dalek-style bins okay. uh, at school, but I think that we need to get a, a tumbler or two nice. to uh, to to do the 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 other food waste.
0: Sure, cool. it's an interesting one. I mean, lots of schools have wormeries. Yep. Uh, but obviously, a wormery isn't uh, sufficient to accommodate the waste that's produced from a school, certainly not when you consider the, the catering waste, you know, from, from lunchtime. Well, to um,
3: wormeries come in different sizes. Now, at Christmas, I treated myself to can of worms right. from Yolts Truly, okay. from, from Wiggly Wigglers. Yeah. I bought a, a housing only, okay. and I got some worms out of, uh, out of my own compost heaps, yeah. uh, because I wanted to have a can of worms to then demonstrate to other people, because people visit my garden to see compost composting and I wanted to have a can of worms I've got several other wormeries but wormeries come in different sizes and some of the uh, there's a golf course in Booth Ferry in East Yorkshire and they're composting the food waste that comes out of their kitchens using worm beds Right. And so worms are used. Um, is actually it's an, an organisation called the Worm Research Centre right. in East Yorkshire, near Howden. Okay. And there's a guy called Steve there who uh, developed a whole range of technologies um, about using worms to break down the material. OK. And that's in East Yorkshire? Yeah.
0: OK. Yeah, um,
3: the, the Worm so, Research Centre's near Howden yeah. and the
0: golf course is in Booth Ferry. Fantastic. OK, well, John... It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Yes, I've enjoyed speaking to you. And thank you very much. I think that you're, you've been enlightening to a lot of our listeners. So thank you very much.
3: Can I uh, just to invite people, if they want to contact York Rotters, then they need to uh, email rotters at uk because we're based at St Nick's Fields in York. Or they can just Google York Rotters and we will answer any home composting inquiries. Fantastic.
0: Okay, well, keep up the good work, John, and uh, it's been lovely speaking to you.
3: Thank you.
2: Well, thank you for that. We've now got coming up a Montycast. Montycast, a weekly fact on farming. Chickens were domesticated about 8,000 years ago. Another Montycast next week. Thanks, Monty.
0: Great, well, I reckon it's a wrap, guys. Uh, Rach, it's been lovely to have you on the couch again.
2: Well, Rich, I'm not quite sure whether I want to be on the couch with you again after you've chosen the other Rachel over me.
0: Oh, no. No, (laughs) no,
1: it's worth a thought, though.
2: (laughs) I hope she listens to this podcast. It's
1: all all right, Rach. I'm sure Hev won't mind. You can come and sit next to me next time. (laughs)
2: That makes all the difference. I will.
1: (laughs) All right. Anyway, it's been a pleasure. Bye-bye, listener. Bye-bye. Oh, it's bye from me.
0: There's another couple. Of, there's a, another interesting point. There. I noticed. You know, I've never heard the word "mooted" before. It's not <laughs> About you. So I think again, it must mean that Sandra must listen to a few of the podcasts because she's picked up some of your limited vocabulary. <laughs> Thank you very so, much. So I thought, oh, that's great. <laughs> so, uh, and and I mean, the, the, but the, one of the most interesting points here for me is the way she she recognises that we could, of course. Um,
1: uh, uh, um. <laughs> oh dear, he's broken down, Michael. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, His Limited vocabulary has become so limited, it's I silent. Think. I can fix
2: many things, John, but this one... John, on. I think
1: that is a perfect example of a limited vocabulary.